0: If you show up as a good trading partner with honesty and integrity, you do what you say you're gonna do, you can perform on a transaction and make it a pleasant experience for everyone, then you're gonna get moved to the front of the line for the next opportunity. Are you ready to transform your life? This is a no-nonsense show helping immigrants like you create generational wealth, even while working full-time. Get ready to take notes. Here's your host, Socket Jane.
1: Welcome back, my group to Wealth listeners. Today, we're going to be talking about note investing. No, you're not buying a corporate bond. We're talking a completely different kind of note. It's not your traditional paper asset. Today, we have with us Fred Moskowitz. Fred, how are you, buddy? Doing great. Thank you for having me on today. Fred, you're calling us from Philadelphia, correct? Yes, that's correct. Awesome. So, Fred, before we get into the nitty gritties of what you do, I well, open up with a question. When you hear the term migrate to wealth, what does it mean to you? What does that mean to me? It means the
0: path, the journey to wealth. And for some people, they're starting out with nothing, starting out negative and starting out in life, new career, new life. And so what are the decisions that you make in your life? to put you on that path right and for others it could be the journey of going from being a non-accredited investor to how do you become an accredited investor what steps do you take how do you set yourself up for success what kind of relationships do you need to build so that you have a whole circle of people that are going to support you along the way and it's an
1: exciting journey I yeah, love that so question. Fred, and thank you for giving that insight, because that's true, right? Everyone's path to wealth is different, but I think you basically stole my next question, which was going to be, what does wealth mean to you? And yeah. I think the answer is, it means different things to different people in different stages of life. So let's start with, what does it mean to you today? Wealth means so much. I feel that a
0: lot of people, the first thing that comes to mind is money, monetary, but Uh there's other types of wealth as well. Let's not forget that. You can have wealth in family. You can have wealth in your relationships. You can have wealth in your friends, in your lifestyle. One of the most important ones is in your health, your health and wellness. That is an extremely important form of wealth because if you don't have that, everything else, it falls by the wayside. It's just secondary. And so I always emphasize that that is something to invest in from day one. (laughs) Take care of yourself, lead a healthy and active lifestyle so that you're going to be able to enjoy your life and everything you're doing and all of the monetary wealth. What good is it going to do if you
1: can't enjoy it? It's so important, Fred. And it's kind of like, I think health is well, I know it's a cliched statement, but it's so true because when you ask a sick person, what do they want? They want a billion dollars or they want to be healthy? Chances are they're not going to say I want billion. And yeah, a billion dollars.
0: And if they already have that billion dollars, <clears throat> they're
1: going to spend all spend of it. Spend it, it all. Spend it all away to, to recover, just make me healthy. Their health. But I think unfortunately what the world we live in and the world life we all live in, the material wealth has become so important and there's an obsession for that and myself included, that it becomes like, I don't have this, or I don't have that, or this person has this, or this person has that. Let's reflect on what are you doing that in your control? My health coach always tells me, you can't control the market, you can't control the people, but what you can control is what are you putting in your mouth? You can definitely yeah, control absolutely. that. And the decisions and choices
0: you make every yeah. day. Exactly. That's are the only you thing you can decide to be active, do some exercise, or are you going to sit right. on the couch?
1: That's a daily choice, daily decision. It is. It is. And yeah. again, I'm not projecting I'm the healthiest person on the planet Earth. I'm not. For me, it's my own journey right now. I'm on that journey, and I am trying to shift my perspective. Being an immigrant, my first goal was to have a good life. And unfortunately, I never asked the question what good life meant. All I've thought was good life meant money. Yeah. And now I have the chance to reflect back and kind of reassess it. Instead of doing it when I'm 80 years old, I'm so fortunate that I'm privileged basically to kind of say, okay, what do I need to do? What do the next 40, 50, 60 years of my life need to look like? So Fred, that is great. I love that. We're the similar frequency on that. I'm sure our audience is a similar frequency as well because they've made the money and they're realizing money is not enough. There's something else that needs to be done. Now give us a background. How did you migrate into that wealth? How are you creating that wealth for you, both monetarily and others?
0: Great question. I'll share a little bit about my background. I started out in the tech industry. I had a long, successful career working as a computer engineer, and I loved that work. I really enjoyed that. And what happened was I spent many years working at different technology companies, startup yeah. companies, and it's a wild roller coaster ride. It's intense. It's fun. It's exciting but i lived through the dot-com boom and then immediately followed by the bursting of the dot-com bubble and the september 11 terrorist attacks and a lot of turmoil and i realized that i was taking way too risk too much risk because the income from my job was only income i had it was that paycheck and that was it and so i came to this realization that i needed to diversify my income sources And so with that, I turned alternative investments, started investing in real estate. And after a few years, got involved in note investing, investing in mortgage notes, which is the finance side of real estate investing. Uh And I really enjoy investing in assets, the whole idea of buying and building assets that we can control and manage and add value. And that creates such an impact monetarily to us. And so that's been my focus. That's been so my focus. So how did you
1: in- find Node Invest? So understand real estate, mm-hmm. because you know people are telling you to buy rental properties, do this, do that. There's so much messaging around that. In that noisy world of buying rental properties and owning them and or buy multifamily or buy this mm-hmm. or buy that, how did you discover Node Investing? Well,
0: it was through my education, my education around real estate, where Uh I noticed any book I picked up about real estate investing, there might be a little mention of seller financing, selling a property and creating a mortgage and note investing and that type of thing. But through some relationships, I had been offered an opportunity to buy notes, buy Uh notes that were in place already. They were originated by a bank and they were sold on the secondary market. Yeah. And so when I saw that opportunity, I recognized it right away and I got involved and that's how it started. It was about 13 years ago. So I've been, nice. been involved with this for a while and over time, Expanded to buying several notes here and there. I started doing some deals in my self-directed Roth IRA and Mm -hmm. really enjoyed the growth there. And then buying pools of notes where we're taking down larger size purchases where it was multiple notes in one transaction. And so it's been a wonderful journey. And now this is my main focus. This is what I speak about and teach about, educate. I've written a book. As well about note investing and i feel that it's such a powerful business because of the cash flow it's consistent and steady and yeah. i feel that that's an important component for any investor have
1: some investments that are focused on cash flow and income definitely i think also it has less variability right especially yeah. in today's tumultuous economy where you don't know what's mm-hmm. going to happen tomorrow chances are people are going to need a home to live in. And hopefully they don't have to default on it. Your mortgage payments are predictable. Yes, there may be some ups and downs, late payments and all that stuff. But yeah. on an average, it's, minimal. Pool, it's minimal, right? Mm-hmm. Now, yeah. let's talk about that for a second, node investing. Let's break it down for our audience here. Yeah. Fred, when you're looking at node investing, of course, you're buying an underlying asset, right? You're putting a note, you're putting a mortgage. You're buying a mortgage, right? Now, you mentioned something about the mortgages were secured by banks and sold on the secondary market. Let's unpack that. What does it really mean? So if I buy a house, I got a mortgage from Bank of America. Now, let's Mm -hmm. use that example. What happens behind the scene? I think it's important for people to understand what is a primary and secondary market itself.
0: Yeah, absolutely. This is a great topic. And I suspect that most of you out there listening have experienced this where you go let's say you buy a property or maybe refi a property and you go to closing sign all the loan docs and then within a couple of months maybe within three to six months you get a letter in the mail uh-huh. out of the blue that says to your mr hmm. and mrs homeowner please be advised your loan is being sold to a new lender here's their contact information here's yeah. their address And starting next month, please start sending your payments to the new lender. And by the way, don't worry, none of the terms of your financing will change. Everything's the same. The payment amount's the same. The interest rate's the same. Everything's the same. However, please send your payments to the new lender starting next month behind the scenes that loan was sold maybe it was sold to be packaged into a mortgage-backed security on wall street or some other financial product and once it's there it sits there for several years it has a time frame and then that security will get broken down again and all the loans will get sold again And so throughout the life of a loan, it may pass through three, four, six, seven owners over the lifetime of the loan. And this is normal. This is because different investors, they hold the loans and then they need to recapitalize or they're closing down their fund and they'll sell off all the loans why are the banks selling it yeah. because they need to recapitalize that's the reason so the originating lender the bank of america as your example what do they do bank of america and a lot of the other lenders that originate loans they will sell those loans off so that they can turn around the next day and write a new loan for someone else Ooh. and so right. they make their money in the origination fees and the points and they collected a couple of payments also before they sold the loan and think of this on an amortization schedule the first few payments it's all interest basically all interest. Yeah. so the loan balance didn't even go down that much and they do this in a very high volume They make a little slice off of each loan, and then they turn around and originate a new loan because they're all set up with the marketing, they're set up with the staff to process loan applications, and they can work at a very high volume, underwrite the loans and fund them. And that's their business model. And so that's the reason why loans are sold. If you ever go, you can go on Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac's website And they will post public reporting on all the loan sales for a prior quarter. And you'll see they have huge (laughs) transactions. And it's all in the public record. They have to disclose it because these are quasi-governmental agencies. Mm -hmm. But it's just interesting you see that all of these loans and mortgages, the majority of them are originated with the idea that they will be sold in the very near future, and that's why during origination and applying for mortgages, things are very strict. You'll notice every Mm. box has to be checked. Every i has to be dotted. And this is why, because if a loan becomes non-conforming for any reason, it can't be sold, and then it gets valued differently and priced differently, and all these dynamics take place. And so this is what goes into creating the financing that's used on the majority of residential homes all
1: over the USA. Awesome. So I think you used the term non-conforming. That basically means the loans that are not backed by Freddie or Fenny, correct?
0: Well, there's some reason that they don't meet their requirements about credit score, about the borrower's background, about the use of the property, about loan to value. I mean, there's so much that goes into that.
1: Yeah. yeah, I think that makes sense, uh,
0: that completely- Sometimes there could be a documentation issue that causes yeah. nothing wrong yeah. with the person borrowing the loan. They took out the loan, they're paying fine and doing everything as promised, but maybe there's some kind of a documentation issue that happened and it's not been addressed. And we saw a lot of that during the era of 2006, 2007, when mortgages were being created at a super fast rate, yeah. there ended up being quite a bit of documentation issues. I still see
1: some of those today when we're looking at loans to buy. So it yeah. is interesting. Mm-hmm. It's kind of interesting you say that it brings an example in my head. A friend of mine reached out to me the other day. He said that, hey, you know what? I closed on a house last year and the originating bank is coming to me and saying they need some other documentation. What do you think I should do? I'm like, I don't know what you should do. You should do a talk to them. And like, what is the cause and all that stuff? So he just delayed. He just sat on it and he forgot about it. He told me every week they would say, we're going to give you $250 if you send us this document. We're going to give you $500. He ended up making $1,000 just because he was just lazy. I'm not definitely not saying everyone should do that. But it was an interesting example because what happened, I think, and the reason I bring it up is because what well, they probably some boxes were not checked at that time, and that loan would have become non-conforming, and they would rather pay somebody a thousand dollars to make sure all the boxes are checked properly than to make that loan non-conforming and not being able to sell it at a premium. So it's interesting yeah. to kind of and notice I, that. I, yeah, and I suspect for your
0: friend, it was probably very easy to. comply with whatever
1: it was. He just needed to download a mortgage statement from one of the properties and send it over. It's not hard at all. He just didn't pay attention. He's like, he asked them, am I at risk of losing my loan? He's like, no. They're like, no. The moment they said no, he's like, I'm good. It's not in any hurry. So I think he just, I don't think he was trying to make money off of them. He just genuinely forgot about it.
0: Yeah. That's normal (laughs) life. We get busy. We're doing things. We're investors. We have a lot of things going on, a
1: lot of projects. So So, not the the most important thing. How are you buying notes? So a bank, especially if it's a conforming loan, what they would do is they would Mm -hmm. rather sell it to the Wall Street in a package than to an individual investor like you and I, right? That's That's correct. That's in their best interest because it's less effort. So how are you buying it? Yeah, less effort
0: and because they're huge Mm -hmm. transactions. Correct. Correct. Tens of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars to buy packages of loans. So what happens over time is those packages and bundles start to get broken up and they're smaller and smaller. So then it becomes, well, hedge funds, note funds that buy loans and then they're the ones selling them off because maybe they need to recapitalize because they're getting into a new deal that's what happens a lot. I buy notes from individual investors. We buy from note funds, hedge funds that we have relationships with. A lot of times it's liquidity. Someone Mm -hmm. needs liquidity. There's nothing wrong with the loans. They just need liquidity for their next deal. And so they'll sell those off because they can make a higher rate of return somewhere else. And this is the normal course of action for any investor. Whether it's real estate or any other asset, if you have an opportunity to earn a higher rate of return, you'll sell your assets off. Maybe even at a nice discount to make things happen quickly so that you can get into your next deal and move forward. Maybe it's a larger larger deal and more profitable. This is what happens. And so how do we get access to that? It's through relationships. Everything's relationship-based. And for us as node investors, if you show up as a good trading partner with honesty and integrity, you do what you say you're going to do, you can perform on a transaction and make it a pleasant experience for everyone, then you're going to get moved to the front of the line for the next opportunity. You're going to get those calls. This works very much the same way in the multifamily space right? Buyers and investors that can perform, do what they say they're going to do. Correct. They're the ones that get the first calls on a new deal sure. that comes up. Yeah, And so Very it's true. all about positioning yourself, the way you show up in life, the way you show up in business and
1: the reputation that you have, it opens up many doors. Correct. I think that makes sense. If somebody is interested in looking at a loan, uh, looking at note investing, mm-hmm. what are the steps and how do they assess the risk? Yeah, that's a great question.
0: Really, before starting out, there's two ways to get started in note investing. The first one is to buy notes and build a portfolio of notes. This is what I call the active investment model, where you're analyzing notes and buying them and building a portfolio. Now, there's also a passive approach, which is where you're investing in a note fund. And for someone maybe that doesn't have time because they're a busy professional or business owner, then they want to invest passively, where you invest yeah. with the note fund, and then you receive a passive rate of return. And so. the fund managers are the ones that buy the notes. They mm-hmm. do the due diligence. They find them. They have the relationships in place. They manage the portfolio, do a mm-hmm. lot of the heavy lifting <clears throat> on that. And so this is always a, a first step is Decide which one is right for you. There's no right or wrong answer. It comes down to how
1: active do you want to be and how much time do you have available? Correct. So let's say I made a decision of an active. Okay. What do I need to do? Well,
0: you find notes to buy through, as I said, relationships. And so that means speaking with sellers of notes, meeting them, building Mm -hmm. those relationships whether it's individual investors or note funds that sell notes on a regular basis. Got it, you just and search it on
1: Google, can you find it? Or that's not where you not, find it?
0: I wouldn't recommend that because you can find them, but you can find a lot of unscrupulous yeah.
1: players
0: out there as well. Right. And so I always recommend attend investment events, attend right. conferences and events, specifically ones that are focused around note investing because when you do that, you're going to get in a room with hundreds of note investors Yeah, and there's people Mm -hmm. buying and selling notes. This is where the deals get done. It's all through building personal relationships. And so I always say that's a great place to start. If you're involved in a local RIA, real estate investment group, Mm -hmm. anywhere in the country, Yes, everyone there is focused on real estate investing, but I find that there's always a couple of folks in the room, couple guys and girls in the back of the room that are note investors. Maybe they sell some properties on owner financing, they have notes, or maybe they buy notes on the secondary market like we do. And so that's a great place to start, but definitely attending events and conferences is the way to go. How do you assess the risk? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, assessing the risk, you perform due diligence, and that's a very involved process. I talk about it in my book, I have several chapters dedicated to performing due diligence on notes, but you analyze many factors such as the borrower, their credit score. You look at the track record and history on the note, the payment history. You look at the real estate, the property itself, What's the property value? What is the equity position protecting your note? What's the local real estate market like? And so you can look at all of these different factors as well as look at the note seller. What's their reputation? How do they perform on a transaction? Do they do everything they promised they would do? These are all aspects to
1: look at when you're buying notes. Got it. And is there a course? Is there something that they can learn? Is it book? Is it learn by doing? All of the above? What are your recommendations? I would
0: say, yeah, all of the above. Definitely, there's a lot of great books about node investing. There are courses of all kinds that focus on different aspects of it as well. I like the idea of note funds are a great way to learn by getting involved with one as well, because you have other people that are experienced involved. And so you benefit from that as an investor. Education is super important. It's about education and about
1: surrounding yourself with other people that are successful and like-minded. Awesome. Well, Fred, this has been an awesome discussion but we can go on and on. I love note investing. I love anything to create passive income. I've done it myself, like and yeah. I'm we talking before we went on air. I don't do it actively. That's not the active stream of business or work of income stream that I have, but it's a one more tool in your arsenal that you that I would yeah. recommend people at least evaluating in.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And I just want to add one thing, notes. Although I focus on residential mortgage notes, there are notes on other assets as well. There can be a note on a business or on a commercial yeah. property. You mentioned to me you're active in the car wash space, mm-hmm. right? So something to look at is you might see car washes get sold or any business for that matter with a carry back note. Sure, it could be secured by receivables of the business or yeah. by real estate or some other collateral, but those are used all the time as part of the strategy to sell a business. And so that's another type of note that you can invest in or create, if you're selling an asset, you don't need to take all cash, Uh, especially if you don't need it. Why not set yourself up to earn a rate of return on your money? Yeah, And there could be some significant tax benefits to you as well. If you structure things appropriately, I mean, that's a conversation to have with your CPA. Anytime you sell an asset, whether it's a business, a piece of real estate or a note or anything, have a brief conversation with your cpa to understand what are the tax consequences of this transaction Mm -hmm. and are there any steps that you can take ahead of time to set yourself up for reducing your taxes in legal and ethical manner yeah i think that's great a lot of times it's not about a loophole it's about structure just of using course. the appropriate structure.
1: Yeah. I think most of the time it's never about a loophole. Loophole is a slang term, but I think it's really, it's an incentive there. There's a hidden incentive for somebody to use that structure. And you have to understand yeah. that. I think it's the uninitiated who use the term loophole because nothing in the tax code is a loophole. It's an incentive for a specific reason. Of course, we could argue about is incentive a real incentive. That's not for us to judge. But it exists there yeah. for us to take advantage of, and we probably should.
0: Absolutely, the government through the tax code incentivizes specific activities, Correct. specific Correct. things. Correct, and they'll do that through the tax code. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Well, Fred, we're coming to the end of our show again. We can talk at length of all these topics, man. So we're coming to the end. We always end our show with two questions. The first question okay. is: What's one insight you will give to your twenty year old self so their migration in life becomes more intentional? Wow,
0: oh, this is a great question. This revolves around uh, relationships. Who are the people that you're putting yourself around? Yeah. And I always say, seek to surround yourself with people that are playing at a higher level than you are. People that have achieved the things that you are seeking to achieve. And why is that? Because you can learn from them. Hopefully, you can learn to not make some of the mistakes they've made along the way and relationships get formed and introductions get made and you learn and grow. And I find, especially in the investment space, people that are successful are always willing to share and help others that are along the journey. They're starting out, they're less experienced. That's something I would recommend is always be mindful about who you're spending your time with, what rooms you're going into, And the people that you put yourself around, the
1: relationships, the proximity, it's so impactful. It is. I think I can't echo that even better that because it's really who you are. You are the average sum of five people you surround yourself with. Yeah. Jim Jim Rohn. Rohn. Correct. I love Jim Rohn. It's not about who you're hanging out are bad people. It's just that if you want to play at a higher level, you have to change your ecosystem. doesn't mean you disown the other friends or family members you have. You still have a connection with them. You still love them. You still interact with them. But you have to expand that circle if you want to play at a different level. Yeah. It's very important. Last question. Where do you feel the humanity as a whole should migrate towards in the next few years? I feel that there's a lot
0: of division being promoted all throughout the world. It's being promoted in media and People that have good friendships, relationships, arguing over things that really don't matter and they let that get in the way and impact them. And sometimes I feel that we forget about the idea that it's okay to agree to disagree on things- Not everyone thinks the same. That's not how we are as a society, as a world. And so it's about showing some grace, being open and understanding that everyone is coming from their own perspective. Mm -hmm. Each person is on their own journey Mm -hmm. through life and understand that and come from a place of openness and a place of creation, coming forward with that type of energy instead of trying to bucketize people that they're in this category or that category. Yeah. And that's some of the things like really being open, it allows yourself to experience humanity at much deeper level and living a richer life, a more enriched life. And so sometimes I feel that because of the divisiveness that exists and the toxicity That can be forgotten about or get swept to the side. I'd love to inspire others to, let's come back to that. Let's say, yeah, maybe we don't agree on every single thing, and that's okay. But we can still have a great conversation.
1: We can still be friends in the end and live a peaceful life. Amen to that, man. I love that. Love that. Because that's what life is about, right? It's not about creating divisions. It's about unification. And of course, absolutely the media and everything else that's creating the device, there's an agenda. And it's important to understand what the agenda is. Or maybe there is nothing, but you have yeah. to ask yourself, do you want to be influenced by the media and other people around you, or you want to have your own opinions and more fact-driven, more objective, and kind of make your determination from that. But Fred, this is amazing. Man, if somebody wants to reach out to you after such an insightful conversation, where can they find you? Where can they learn more about what you do? Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. The best way to connect with me
0: is to visit my website, which is fredmoskowitz.com. And if you prefer an easier spelling, you can go to giftfromfred.com and connect with me there. I have a special report that's available on note investing. I'm happy to send that out to anyone that would like to request it and i uh, always look forward to connecting with investors learning about what you're doing talking about node investing and if you prefer you can also text me by texting the keyword money to the phone number 215-461-4433 and then it's following the prompts there so i look forward to connecting with you i love building relationships and meeting investors all the time thank you for having
1: me on today wait Thank you, Fred. I am sure somebody is going to pick you up on that offer. We will make sure that all the information is included in the show notes below. We'll be in touch, Fred. Thank you. Thank you.
0: If you got value from this episode, you might consider sharing this content with a friend. But
1: most importantly, be sure to take action on what you've learned. One way you can take the next step is to connect directly with Socket on an investor call. That link is waiting for you in the show notes below. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Please consult your own advisors when making any investment decisions. Keep listening. We'll see you on the next episode.